My job this afternoon is to introduce Kim O'Gowan, who is going to serve as our moderator, advocate, advo activist, and attorney. These are just a few of the titles for Kimberly O'Gowan, who, who has been on the front lines of social justice for years, advocating for the equality of the black community in public policy, resources, and political power. A successful and respectful legislative attorney for years, on of, of on hands experience promoting and negotiating strong public policy agenda for the city, state, and at federal levels. As a host of the WVON 1690 AM afternoon drive show, and weekly political commentator, hers is a trusted local and national voice which she uses to amplify the needs and desires of her community daily and in other outlets such as WTTW, WBEZ, and CBS2. Kim, would you join us up on the podium? Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, shameless plug, I will say this. Um, I have the privilege of being the president of the first sorority graduate chapter in the city of Chicago uh, and in the state of Illinois, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, Theta Omega chapter. We celebrate our 100th anniversary on Saturday. We're having a big to-do about that. But one of the things that we really believe in is black economic empowerment. That's something that I preach all the time. We were able to purchase our property 15 years ago and pay it off in 15 years, um, 15 years short of the 30, 30 years. And the article just dropped in Black Club Chicago before when I was walking in here. So take a look at it. It's our organization. I want to thank everyone for being here. I want to thank my I will sister, Sonia Antelec, judge, for allowing me to be here and to preside over this, to moderate this extremely important issue, the issue of social equity in Illinois cannabis. How do we get here? How, how did we get here? I worked for the Illinois Department of Public Health when medical cannabis was first initiated. Um, one of the things, there was a glaring oversight during that time. There was nothing about equity during that initial. And sometimes the way you start is how you finish. But we want to have this conversation so we can make sure this is not how we finish, so that we can move forward and get the equity that we, as, as Illinoisans and people from the city of Chicago, we are better than what we're doing right now. So that is the purpose of this conversation, to really talk about the facts behind this program. And I am pleased to be able to have the following people join me to moderate this discussion. First, we have got Ambrose Jackson. Would you like to come up and have a seat? Mr. Jackson is the chairman and CEO of the 1937 group. Prior to launching and gaining licensing for Illinois cannabis companies Parkway Dispensary, Helios Labs, and Highwaymen Security, Ambrose Jackson spent 15 years in business management and organizational leadership in the healthcare industry. The primary functions he was responsible for included regulatory compliance, patient safety, quality improvement, and consumer experience. He's also a practitioner of the Toyota production system model, having implemented structured management systems for world-class healthcare organizations, leading to effective business management practices, decreased lead times and labor costs, and increased business profitability. Mr. Ambrose Jackson. I'm going to introduce everyone, have them come up. And then we will get into their own introductions because they can do that better than I can. Mr. Doug Kelly. <laughs> Mr.
Mr. Doug Kelly is the executive director of the Cannabis Equity Illinois Coalition. The coalition was founded in April 2019 after town hall meetings on the south side of Chicago. South side uh, discussed cannabis legislation in Illinois. Mr. Doug Kelly. Miss Lizbeth Vargas Hymas. Lizbeth is the executive director of the Illinois Independent Craft Growers Association. Lizbeth is Mexican first generation community builder and a Chicago native, a bookworm at heart, but marketer by training with a master's degree from Northwestern. She has grown multi-million dollar companies in the cannabis and tech industry. Her success is fueled by her passion and commitment to building generational wealth while fighting for social equity and contributing back to our communities in service and joy. Bridging her passion for storytelling and community building, in 2016, Lizbeth began her career in cannabis as the founding director of communications for Hatch, an Illinois medical cannabis dispensary. As the sole marketing leader, she developed growth strategies for marketing cannabis brands, and she transitioned to business consulting, gaining extensive experience in both the plant-touching and ancillary side of the cannabis industry. Her network stretches across the industry and country, having worked with entrepreneurs to develop cannabis businesses in Illinois, California, Washington, and, and Michigan. And she back exclusively in the cannabis space, having successfully served as the founding marketing leader for an e-commerce startup. Currently, she serves as the chief innovation officer for Sky and Wyatt CBD and Cannabella Lux, a femme-forward cannabis-inspired hybrid boutique and lifestyle brand. Miss Lizbeth Vargas Hymitz. So, as you can see, the depth, the breadth of the experience and knowledge, you have that here on this panel. So what we want to do is get started, and we're going to talk first with Mr. Jackson. Mr. Jackson, I think it is important we know about the companies that you have started and the types of models that you follow, but there's nothing like hearing from you what your experience has been like in this business, but also why you're in this business. Thank you, Kim, um, and thank you all for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so I'd like to just maybe take a step back and provide a little bit of context around, around my journey uh, in cannabis. It started in 2018 uh, when Illinois and Governor Pritzker announced the social equity program that would be rolled out in association with the adult use recreational cannabis program. See, prior to that, there was a medical program in place for a number of years, um, and there are current operators. And at this point in time, they were looking at opening up the market to you know, everyone who is above 21 to purchase cannabis and acknowledging the, the health benefits, the therapeutic benefits of the plant and the recreational um, benefits of it. And so... You know, at that point in time, I was um, considered to be a social equity applicant based off of having been arrested as a minor for possession of cannabis. Um, you know, throughout my life, I've been able to maintain a balanced relationship with the plant while excelling on, in work and other aspects of my life. And fast forward to 2020, uh, once it's legalized on January of 2020, now we're in a position where you know, this plant in Illinois joins, you know, tens of other states um, in creating a market where this plant is now sold legally. And there are folks in this uh, in this industry right now making, you know, billions of dollars a year um, while my friends, while my family are being persecuted over the same plant. 
right? And so for me, that that was my motivation to to get involved and really try to make that transition into the regulated market. Um, after completing a very um, difficult and, and, and time-consuming and expensive application process, um, that window ended in January of 2020 also, right, when um, legalization started um, for REC. Um, you know, at that point in time, you know, I was I was happy to be able to, to get through, get past the finish line with the applications, but you know the state had written in a, a requirement that they were announced or released the, the licenses at, in July of 2020, right? And you know July 2020 passed, and, and if you all recall, there were a number of things that were happening back then, COVID being the main one, um, and so there were a number of reasons why uh, there have been delays after delays that have affected folks like us from getting their businesses up and running. Um, but at the end of the day, what we're here right now is to talk about you know, where we're at and what that landscape looks like and, and what we can do about it. Because um, this social equity program right now in Illinois is, I wouldn't call it a social equity program, right? I would, I would actually call it an MSO program. And, and for our audience, those who may not know what an MSO, can you explain a little bit more? An, an MSO stands for a multi-state operator. Um, and, and so my point in saying that is that, you know, we're not against, you know, large cannabis companies. We're not against MSOs. We are for social equity license holders like ourselves. And we are for um, us all working together to do, to do whatever it needs to take for us to have a seat at the table. Right. And so like that's that's where really what I want to talk about today. I want to thank you so much for that intro. Lizbeth, I have a question for you because you are the director, excuse me, the executive director of the Illinois Independent Craft Growers Association. I think it's important that we have a little bit of a discussion about craft growers. Absolutely. So I um taking a little step back in my journey as well. I came into the cannabis industry in the medical program. And during that time as the marketing director, I really saw disparity of entry for folks. And so I became involved in the ancillary side and teaching people on how to get active. But the plant touching side is really one of the biggest area of opportunities that we're being get locked out of. And so um, I took on this executive director role because I am very passionate about the expansion in the market, not only on the consumer side, but on the generation generational wealth and building. Uh, Governor Pritzker ran uh, this campaign, marketing um, cannabis campaign very uh, strategically in his marketing, social equity. It's a buzzword that you hear often, but we have yet to see that come into fruition when we run the stats of who's open, who is operating, and the areas of opportunity in that. On the craft growth side, this license, in essence, was created to allow for black and brown and minority ownership, and that has not allowed to be in fruition. The stats are very stark. Out of the 88 licenses, only one is operational. By any means of measure, that's a failing. And so right now, I think it's a calling in of our state legislator and everybody who is involved and wants to see the success, because we have to rebuke the status quo, and that is the limited ability for minority ownership, but also on the consumer end to have the ability to support a variety of brands. Uh, one of the things that we often hear on the craft growth side is the ability to uh, get financing. And we are stuck in this startup uh, loophole where we are pre-operational, so there is no cash flow, and a lot of investors are not taking that risk. So I say to you, what do we stand to lose if we don't take action? We stand to lose a lot. 
The idea of social equity being successful, Governor Pritzker in this debate saying, hey, people are opening up shop, people are getting loans. That is not the case. That felt like a gaslight moment to me for someone who's been in the industry this long and who is getting to see the day-to-day of folks who are putting up their livelihood, their savings, everything on the line for this program to run on the behalf of this social equity legislation. Just to go into that a little bit more, when we talk about craft growers, you said something that was very telling. You said that that was the program that really was supposed to be the key or the solution for for social equity. Can you talk about the difference between just the regular program, the dispensaries, et cetera, and what craft grow was supposed to do? So our state had a medical uh, pilot program that began with medical cannabis from 2016 up until it became recreational legal. During that time, and as Ambrose Journey discussed, they released four new licenses. So at the time, it was a very limited market and available players. The constant use of MSO, I think, is also something that we have to address that there are going to be bigger players at any sort of ecosystem. But the, in essence, the legislation around uh, social equity and the craft grow in particular was to allow for a new type of ownership to come into this space. Um, we will discuss the 50,000 square feet as to why that is so limited. But in essence, it was meant a uh, license to allow for new players and new product into the market. Thank you so much for that. Um, Mr. Kelly, Doug Kelly, you're the executive director of the Cannabis Equity Illinois Coalition. What do you think of when you hear the word equity with the current program, the way that it is formed now? And, and even, even before that, how did it come to be that you decided this was the arena that you wanted to go into? Okay. Um, thank you, Kim. Um, thank you guys for letting me be here today. Um, but it all started back um, when it was apparent that the legalization of cannabis was going to happen. Uh, and my sister was one of the founders of the organization. She was like, hey, Doug, I want you to start coming to these meetings with me. You know, I was like, nah, not at all. So she's <laughs> like, just come to one meeting and um, I won't bother you anymore. And I've been here ever since. Um, 2019 is when the organization was formed. During that point, it took 100 individuals to, down to Lobby Day in Springfield. Um, but in the beginning of that, Rep. Sonia Harper told us in a series of town hall meetings that if you guys want to make a difference, you got to learn to advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. And we have been doing that ever since. Um, and now uh, I don't see anything else that I, I need to be doing other than this. Um, Peer Advocacy Group, um, we were formed in 2019, like I said, and we do a host of series. we helping people with the record clearing process. Um, we actually pay for their rap sheets. We partner with attorneys and we also provide rides to and from CPD. Um, we also do a lot of know your rights education in the community, teaching our communities what their rights are, how to properly carry cannabis, you know, um, where you should store it, what kind of container it should be in. So we don't continue to be victimized um, by this plant, which we still are. Um, individuals in black and brown communities are still being in locked up, incarcerated, written tickets for just the smell of cannabis. We must end that. Um, at the onset of this program, how it all started was, was to help those mostly impacted by the war on drugs. We're not doing that. We're failing. Um, we still have people incarcerated for cannabis while the industry makes a billion dollars um, behind it. So we really have to, you know, really look at what we're doing here. And then on the financial side of this whole thing, um, like Lizbeth was just saying, you know, craft growers are having a very hard time getting funding. 
um, just because of the 5,000 square foot canopy space to investors. That's not enough um, canopy space for them to put eight, nine million dollars in only for 5,000 square feet. We're fighting to raise that number from 5,000 square feet to 14 immediately, not in increments. Um, there are a number of things that we can do right here today um, to help that with our lawmakers um, stepping up to the plate um, and passing legislation to, to, to raise that canopy space. Um, we've been here three years and we continue every legislation cycle. There's an excuse for why we can't move forward. First one, it was, you know, um, COVID. I understand that. Then it was last year it was we can't come together as an advocacy group. This year it's the Safety Act, which I totally understand. But are we at the point where we can only do one legislation bill at a time? Um, if we don't move any legislation right now to the 14,000 square feet for the craft growers, this program is going to fail. But you must understand that this is an ecosystem where the craft growers feed the dispensary, dispensary help the transporters and the infusers. If one wheel fall off this wagon, there is no program anymore. Governor Prister is going on TV nationally saying how equitable this program is. But we have failed at every phase of this program. The craft growers are failing. Dispensary owners are failing. Infusers and failing, transporters failing. We have to do better. And that's why we're here today, just to let everybody know exactly where we're at. We must get, reach out to our lawmakers and push them to make the right decisions. There's no reason for this to go another session without doing some of the basic things that we need to help them. Doug, when you say that we're failing as far as equity at every one of those levels, what are the numbers at those levels for black, brown, minority, whatever category you would like to say? At this point, there are no operational black or brown um, candidacy in no phase. Um, do they have conditional license? Yeah, they do, but they still can't get the funding to open them. Um, each level has its own unique problems, and I don't want to take up much of this time. No, I think it's important, though, because we okay. throw a lot of terms out, so I just want to make it plain. All right, let's make it when plain, we, When we talk about, for example, when this, when this discussion came up in front of city council for the city of Chicago, even those who were not necessarily in favor of legal cannabis, and there's mm -hmm. still those people out there, yeah. they were told that this was an, an economic opportunity that would build economic wealth for black and brown people who had suffered at the hands of the war on drugs. Those are not my words. That's just in general. Absolutely. But one of the things that was told that was said is that even if you cannot get the capital, because we know this is a very expensive process to get a dispensary mm -hmm. or maybe craft grow, you will still be able to transport, you will be able to package, you will be able to do all of these other things that are going to be extremely important. Is that happening for black and brown people? Um, the answer is no. Also, when you look at the dispensaries, um, right now, their issue is they're having, they don't have the ability to raise, change their principal officer or get um, other investors to come in. And because of this, you know, they're losing funding opportunities. Right now, investors are going to other states because of the, all the stuff that's going on in Illinois, and they're leaving 
and going to other states, or they're purchasing all the real estate for the prime locations that was within Chicago and the outlying areas so that they still control what's going on. And if we don't allow, well, let's take one more step back. Under no circumstances do we stop MSOs from purchasing other opportunities. We don't give them any rules or restrictions on how they do it, who can invest within their organizations, a thing like that. But we are hamstringing social equity people. It's not fair. Where's the equity in that? Um, they can purchase other, well, let's take one more step back. They have just about purchased all the other independent um, um, cannabis shops that were open. So they control everything. Um, we're going on about $4 billion in the next, including this year, that there, and still no black and brown people are in this industry. Once again, where's the equity? Yeah, and maybe, maybe also I'd like to just maybe take another step back and just provide a picture of, you know, what it's like from a craft grow license winner and, and, and our experience in Please trying do. to Definitely. stand up one of these businesses, right? Um, because my, um, my journey is not unique. You know, there, there are thousands of people like me who put everything into it. They, you know, drained out their 401ks. They went to their family and friends to put money into it, and, and they've lost it. They've lost it all. We're on, they're on the verge of losing it, right? So, so from, from Is my it because th- of the time? Well, I'll, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, okay. go, I'll go into that, right? Okay. So, so, you know, for a craft girl license, in order to submit your application um, in the beginning of 2020, you had to have secured uh, control of the facility where you would be operating. Now, the only way to do that is one of two routes. One, spend a couple million dollars to purchase a building of the right size and in the right location, or enter into a lease agreement, a binding lease agreement with the owner of the building, right? So in either way, you're putting money up front just to apply. Now, in my case, I entered into a lease agreement. Um, and that was, it was time bound. It was, you know, the lease started and I had to pay based off of a time frame that was after when the state, um, in the statute, right, was supposed to provide me with my license, mm-hmm. right? No go, no go decision, right? If they didn't, if I didn't get a license, I was off the hook, right? But it was delayed and delayed and delayed. I was supposed to find out in 2020. Um, it wasn't until August of 2022 when any license holder actually found out whether or not they were going to re- receive a license. So everybody who had made that investment or was on the hook for these rent payments was still, was still trying to find a way to, to, to cover it while the state was, was having n- no communication about when we were going to receive a license. And in fact, um, the, day bef- the day I received my license for, the, for my craft grow, I only found out 24 hours ahead of time. That's how much time we had to prepare Right. And then after we get our license, that's when the clock starts to get operational. Otherwise, we lose it. Mm-hmm. Right. So after um, a, two years of delays, we finally receive our license. And, and now we're able to go raise money and, and start to, to move forward with construction documents, permitting and all that. But the key thing is we're already we've already started off a business, a business that doesn't need, that's not even operational. We're starting off a half a million dollars to a million dollars in debt. Right. Now, what, what minority business owner do you know that's yeah. uh, applying and working within a social equity construct has the ability to start a business and be successful um, at a million dollars or a half a million dollars negative in the mm. hole before they have anything, 
right? So that, that's step number one. Step number two, right? What, what access do we have to get money, right? In this market for cannabis, we can't go to a bank. There is no traditional financing, right? So, so the only options that we have is to find, you know, high net worth individuals, right? Who, who are, who are, who see the value proposition that we have. They, you know, we make a case for what's in it for them and we make, you know, a, a mutually beneficial agreement, right? That's a long-term relationship where both sides benefit, right? The only issue with it is me as a craft grow license winner, at this point, now that I've got my license, I still have my hands handcuffed behind me as it relates to this because the statute was written in the legislation allows me to operate at a certain amount of canopy, 14,000 square feet, which directly translates into a certain dollar amount of expected revenue annually, right? However, the caveat is I have to begin operating with one-third of that amount, 5,000 square feet, right? So I actually have to start out with one-third of the revenue potential, Mm. right? And the state at that point and, and up until now still has not outlined what those steps are or criteria are for me to increase my canopy from 5,000 to 14,000, right? That, that in itself, you know, represents millions upon millions of, of dollars, which I can't claim when I go to any investor, right? Make, you know, I can't add it to our projections. I can't re- add it to our, our performer or anything like that because they're going to push right back and say, well, you know, you can't, you can't, you actually can't operate at 14,000 and we don't know when you can. So, so just introducing that level of risk to an investor is a, it provides a major impe- like impact to our ability to raise funds as social equity applicants. And so that's, that's one of the reasons why when we talk about the two, the two measures that can really um, improve our positioning mm-hmm. in terms of uh, accessing capital, you know, one is you know, having the ability legislatively written in as an amendment in the veto session to begin operating at 14,000 square feet of canopy right off the bat. It's not increasing our total, total capacity or allowable um, canopy. It's just eliminating the risk associated with us trying to raise the $10 million that we need to raise to get up and, up and running. Um, and so the other measure, while I'm there to talk about it, is you know, eliminating the distance requirement between craft grow licenses. Right now, there's, there's a distance requirement of 2,500 feet um, and that is applicable to, I believe, all cannabis licenses. And so, you know, from a dispensary standpoint, I could see why that might make sense, right? You know, you don't want a dispensary right next to each other, right on every corner, a couple on the same block. That makes sense. But on the craft grower side, it really, really hurts us. It works against us because we are already regulated to most often industrial areas and industrial parks within cities, mm. right? And so if you're telling me, that you know, within this area that's that's really designated for for my type of business, there can only be one of us. You know that essentially shuts out everybody else who could be operating in that space, right? And then lastly, we have the ability to own or have ownership of up to three craft grow licenses. So, so, so that's great. That ideally would be one way to achieve scale to to make this a. Um, a venture that, again, from a financial standpoint, from an investment standpoint, it makes sense, right? Because we're competing against, um, you know, you know, competing, and I use that, that word loosely, but the current operators in the market, you know, have licenses that allow them to go up to 
210,000 square feet of canopy, right? So 14 versus 210 is, is the disparity as it relates to equity on that side, right? However, you know, when it comes to the $10 million that we would need to raise um, to open up a cultivation center to build it out, if we were able to partner with another licensee who was unable to find a location and merge in some way where they could co-locate their license if we have the space and the ability at our facility, um, that would be ideal for, in both, um, for both parts. Um, and it would eliminate the potential for these, license, these other license holders who can't find a location, who can't raise the money, to have to give back their license to the state. And again, so our, our, our goal is to, is to simply create an environment where social equity licensees, craft growers specifically, are able to get up and running and able to participate in this industry. You know, Lisbeth, and I think that you probably want to add to this, but one of the questions that I want you to keep in mind, you are in a room filled with influencers and people who have a great amount of power in, in particular MSOs. They're here. And we know that they have social equity programs, they have grants, all of those types of things. But how is that working with you? Um, what would you want to say to them so that it can be an actually a real beneficial relationship? What can they do to help this process? With like any other industry, there has to be a balance of the players. And I do believe that there is an opportunity for everyone to be involved. I think one of the things that um, you often hear is that the market right now is so limited, so we haven't given the ability or the opportunity for new players in this space. Uh, a very crucial thing that I would say is while there are a lot of philanthropic um, endeavors, legislatively and realistically, the market is still very much in control of larger players. And I would say, and I would ask for the opportunity, if there is that intent to help other people grow, is to be uh, supportive of these measures. Uh, as we know, there was a survey that came out. A lot of the measures that we are trying to advocate for are directly uh, not in their favor, not something that they want to advocate for. Some of the things that they constantly talk about is the access of product. We're not even there yet. We haven't even gotten there. We haven't even allowed for new players in the space to allow for that market to open. And specifically when it comes to the craft growers in that market and canopy limitation is the inability to even compete. Bringing up this number, the fact that craft growers only get initial 5,000 square feet when there is no restriction or regulation for the larger players is just unfair. And while that life is unfair in general, I think realistically the legislators in the room and folks who are able to enact real change need to ask themselves if they want us to have a social equity program that is shiny to the outside world or impactful in real time. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so, Doug, uh, because you are looking at it from here and just looking at the entire program, and we're talking about how there are people still being persecuted, black people, Latino mm -hmm. people are still being persecuted for this drug that now is legal for others to sell. What has to happen for the social equity piece to actually come to fruition? And I guess the question I really want to ask, I know that one of the things that was touted along with this is that there was going to be a study with the state of Illinois to kind of tell where things were failing, et cetera. Well, it sounds like you all have enough, <laughs> you have enough data to be able to say this is what needs to happen, et cetera. How receptive is the administration to listening to all of these things that you all are saying that you need? 
Well, at this point, I feel like they're not receptive at all. You know what I mean? Because nothing has changed. In over three years, nothing has changed. Um, the issues that we're talking about now were there two years ago. We're talking about basically the same issues over and over and over. And like I say, every legislation cycle is something else more important than cannabis. Um, but we cannot continue to have individuals for selling cannabis um, still incarcerated because at this point, none of them has sold more cannabis than the MSOs have sold. <laughs> True. And yet they're still locked up. Um, but just letting them out is not good enough. We got to end permanent punishment. There's no reason, like our organization help people clear their records. We have people come in all the time who has not done anything. They did something as a child. They made a mistake. 30 years in, they still have these things on their record. At what point do we give them their life back? At some point, you know, we got to just like, hey, you paid your debt to society. Now you get employment opportunity. They can't even get housing. Um, they can't even be on their loved one's will. There are so many different things that we can do to help these individuals. And this is why people go back to jail. If you tell you right now, you get three years of probation, Cook County, uh, right now to get your record expunged is 18 months to two years. So that's five years with no resources, no ability to get housing, no ability to get a um, living wage. And then what do you think these individuals are going to do? They go back to doing what it was. But if we provide a programming for them um, and give it or just simply you paid your debt to society. Now this is off your record. Go find a job. Go find a house. Help them become whole again. We have to really take a look at us individually and legislatively and like, is this fair? Um, so, yeah. Ambrose, I want to ask you a question. Um, if you're not allowed to grow and you, you don't have the access that you need in order to grow the product, where will the dispensaries get their product? You know, so so I'll, I'll start off by saying that, you know, Lizbeth mentioned that there's there's been a hundred. Sorry, there's been 88 craft grow licenses awarded. One of them has been operational so far in the last year um, that we've had. Um, I am in the position, I believe, to be the second one that's operational. Uh, however, you know, out of the other, you know, 86, how many of those are going are, are gonna to fail? You know, from what I'm hearing and talking to people, you know, it's, it's looking like upwards of 80% of these license holders are going to fail. Right. So so I think the first thing that we're going to see is just um, the lack of delivering upon what this social equity was was supposed to provide. Right. And so moving forward to the dispensary owners, once they get up and running and operational, you know, I think what we're going to see is is for the most part, you know, a lot of the same. Right. You're going to see a lot of the same players. You're going to see a lot of the same operators. You're going to see a lot of the same brands. And and you're not going to see as much. um representation uh, within the, the, the regulated industry uh, from, from people of color. Not as much as it should be, not as much as what we were promised. I want to thank you. Yes, please. And also, when you interject, because we're going to have to wrap this up because we also have got questions from yeah. the audience as well. When you do that, I want you all, the three of you, to kind of give, if people really want to see something happen with this, what exactly, and you've said it throughout, you've peppered it throughout, but what exactly do they need to do? What do we need legislators to do? What is the fix 
for this, but go right ahead. So with my interjection and to build on Ambrose's point, uh, the licenses aren't going to go away. They're either going to lapse or they're going to get sold. And the truth of the matter is that a lot of people are going to lose that equity that was the point of the program. And they're going to get tied to horrible deals that might not benefit them, but uh, may advance their license. And so one of the things that I will say, if you do want to support, is uh, calling your legislator, finding out, you know, who um, your Senate representative is and having them advocate for the expansion of the CTRA. Uh, increasing the canopy sides, but also to show your support for cannabis. I think to Doug's point, uh, we get caught up in the uh, topics of these cycles and we get shut out, but this is just as crucial, just as important because it's an industry that is going to fail. It is going to fail. I'd like to Please. make one more point. Um, the state of Illinois over the last two years have collected over $750 million dollars. And right now, individuals who got licensed were promised, you know, loans, um, low interest loans and things of that nature from the DCO. No one has gotten those loans yet. R3 money. There are still non-for-profit organizations that has not received their payments yet. How do you expect, especially grassroots organizations, to go five months still trying to run the program without any funding? Like, it, like I said, every phase we have failed, we got to do better. I want to thank each and every one of you for, for talking about this. We do have questions. Daniel Tosk, who is a non-member, but is with the organization Mid-America Real Estate Group. Here's a question. Under what circumstances can a social equity license winner sell their interest? Who would like to take that one? Amber? Sure, sure. So it depends on which license type we're talking yep. about, right? So, you know, if it's a craft grow license, a infuser license, or a transport license, once they have that license in hand and they paid that fee, um, they have the ability to sell equity um, or go through the process with the state to sell their license. Um, as it relates to the dispensary license holders, which have, uh, there's about 185 of, uh, newly received their licenses within the last three months. Um, their licenses uh, are called are what's called conditional licenses. So it's not they don't have a piece of paper in their hand saying that they can stand up their business and start selling weed in a, in a retail location. Um, what they have with their conditional license is the ability now to move forward um, and build out a dispensary, dispensary according to code and according to their license. And once they get that approved, um, they are able to then. And once they're operational, right, that at that point, they're able to get their license and then sell equity or sell their license. So, so the issue with that last portion with the dispensary licenses is that, you know, they're going to have to spend upwards of a million dollars or more in some cases to build out their dispensary and get up and running without any access to capital. There's, they can't get any loans. The, the DCO money with the loan from the state that was supposed to be promised to us, nope, that's not given out, been given out to anyone. And, you know, you can't go the traditional route of finding high, high net worth individuals or private equity companies to, you know, you know take a, a portion of your business, you know, which would allow you to get up and running, which, you know, many other startups are able to do. So, so I think that's the issue specifically as it relates to dispensary license holders. Given how lucrative Illinois cannabis in industry is and considering the lack of black and brown ownership, what do you attribute 
to the lack of support from all but a few of the elected officials as new social equity licensees struggle to become operational. That is from Jordan Melendez, who is a non-member, but is with the organization Kamikaze Circle LLC. Would you like to take that one, Lizbeth? <laughs> who would like to take that? It's a, it's a complex question. All right. Take it, Doug. I'll, I'll back um, First of all, in, in the words of Malcolm X, like, we've been bamboozled and hoodwinked. <laughs> Point blank. We have been sold a, a bill of goods that no one can use. And to, to go into that a little bit further to answer the question is like, mm. it's kind of complex and I just don't want to ruffle too many feathers to hear today, but we answer, ask the question once again. Yep. <laughs> What do you a lot attribute? of stuff went through my mind. And, Why do you think you're getting a lack of support? Given, I mean, everyone well, knows the number. Okay, yeah. let's just let's let's be truthful and honest here. Well, if you follow the money, um, okay, you will be able to easily see why we're not getting the, as much support as we should get. Um, like me and Peter, we were in Springfield all the last session, like. We on the rails, we chasing down lawmakers in the tunnels and everything like that. And then we see um, certain lobbyists come in and they just walk straight through the doors, go right into me who they want. In 10 minutes, they're out of there. Red carpet treatment. Red carpet treatment. And we on our feet for eight, nine hours, hmm. catching people coming out of bathrooms to get a two minute conversation because they won't talk to us in their offices. We literally passed out one pages to every legislator, both House and Senate, Republican and Democrat. So they can't say they wasn't aware of the issues. It was just inactivity. Just, and just to add to that, I mean, the, the, the other issue on the other side of the coin is just, you know, social equity license holders they don't have time to go down to Springfield, right? They, they, have, they have lives. They have work. They have kids, you know. Um, and, and to that point, we understand the value. Like, we need to be in their ear. And actually, we're actually working together right now to organize a bus trip um, within the next couple of weeks to take a bunch of them down to Springfield so that our voices can be heard. You know, I, I think just the reality is there's, there's already a, a construct in place, right? And, and people that are at the table... And, and, and it's very hard to kind of break into that area. There's and a so we just don't have money for lobbyists. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think you'll be down there for veto session. Oh, we're going to be uh, <laughs> there. is a joint. It's a question that deals with federal laws. And if the federal, the impacts of the federal laws, um, for example, you kept, you're being kept out of banks, major institutional investors, uh, will any relief there also assist? This is from Tony Licata of Taft Law Firm and also Louis McCarrots of Guidehouse Consulting. So while the Safe Banking Act is going to help the federal market overall, we're still operating in a gray area. And what I find interesting in their legislation is that sometimes things are federal and then sometimes things are a state play. So making money off cannabis is a state play. Making f factual change that would enact social equity and true ownership, that has to be some sort of federal play. There are, the big guys are moving their money. 
There are banks, there's private banking, there's credit union. There is a way right now where the ecosystem is in place to be part of the industry and folks are being left out. I think it's a cop out to use the idea that because it's federally illegal, we have to succumb to these uh, limitations. The MSOs are still making money. They made 445 million and we have yet to see a dime of that. Where, where, are the, where is the state putting their money? Oh. It's cannabis money. <laughs> Yeah. Cannabis money is being made. <laughs> we have, where, where are they putting their money? We have one more comment from Pamela Altoff of CBAI. You have a comment about. Yes. Spoken like a true former state senator. Thank you very much. Can I, but can I, can I, um, can I just add to that? So, so thank you, Pam. Yeah, I, I think I think it's important. I think that's just another example of what we've seen on, on our side in terms of, you know, even what's written in, into into law. The state finds its way to not do, not to hold up their end as it relates to this social equity mm-hmm. program. But we are continuing every step held to our same same bars and same measures. You know, the five thousand to fourteen thousand, we're still a handcuffed, even though they 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 are not you know holding up to their, their end of the bargain. And and at this point, you know, the, the, for me, the main message is, you know, it's too it's too late. It's about to be too late. Like we need change now. You know, a, a study would have been nice back when they should have. But if we wait another four to six months, it's going to be too late. And all of these social equity mm-hmm. license holders and these businesses are going to be failed. Well, Thank you very much, everyone. I think that it's right, time for it. us to end the panel. When someone comes and stands behind you, Boy. it's time. Thank you all very much for attending. <laughs> <laughs>